from the News Building in London, this is Piers Morgan Uncensored. Good evening from London. Welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored for all the politics and tribalism that charges the debate about Israel's war. The one thing we should all be able to agree on is surely that every innocent life lost is a tragedy. Thousands of people have been killed already, all leaving behind families who have to live with unspeakable grief. The difference between the Hamas attacks and the Israeli retribution is intent. Israel may be cavalier about civilian deaths and, to use that awful phrase, collateral damage. But killing civilians is not their aim. The Hamas terrorists, on the other hand, wanted to kill as many innocent people as they could. When it comes to blame and condemnation, that's an important distinction. When it comes to grief and sympathy, there's no difference. And many of our celebrities seem to have forgotten that. But to be clear, actors, musicians and artists are under no obligation whatsoever to air their views on geopolitics. They're perfectly entitled to it. It's a free country. But I think we'd probably all rather hear less of them than more about this stuff. But when they do speak out, they should try not to let the gleaming intensity of their virtue signal blind them to some basic decency. More than 2,000 British actors, including stars like Tilda Swinton, Steve Coogan and Maxim Pike, have signed an open letter which condemns the war in Gaza. We are witnessing a crime and a catastrophe, they wrote. Israel has reduced much of Gaza to rubble. Our governments are not only tolerating war crimes, but aiding and abetting them. We demand that our governments end their military and political support for Israel's actions. And on it goes. Not one single word in this letter mentions the Hamas terror attacks. Not one single word mentions the 1,400 people in Israel who were butchered, nor the 200 men, women and children snatched as hostages. Don't they care about them? Did they not know that happened? Or do they think, perhaps, that Jewish lives matter less than Palestinian lives? I don't know the answer. Only they know that. Like so many people in this crisis, they've let their political views get in the way of basic perspective and human decency. Well, now the battle of the hearts and minds traditionally played out through diplomacy and propaganda is being played out online. My next guest has almost half a billion views for his provocative commentary online, making him hugely influential. Hassan Piker streams live under the name Hassan Abi. His analysis of the Israel-Hamas war has taken a highly critical stance towards Israel and Western media. And he's been calling me out for my coverage. Because he only cares about Israeli citizens. He does not care about Palestinians as human beings. That's why it's apples to oranges. It's like one side is a human, the other side is a barbaric monster child. I never said that, obviously. Uh, he says that he'd like nothing more than to come on to Uncensored and call me a baboon in a suit to my face. Well, here I am. A baboon, uh, and he can join me now. Uh, I'm joined by Hassan. Hassan, thank you very much indeed for coming on. Thank you for having me, Piers. Uh, it's very early here in Los Angeles, California, but I'm going to try to do my very best to to not do my British accent while I'm here. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And listen, I appreciate you coming on. Explain to me why you consider me a stenographer for the Israeli government, given that in the last week... I think more than any other host in the world, I have given lengthy platforms to pro-Palestinian voices to articulate that side of the argument. No, I, I, I do have to commend you. Uh, you certainly have uh, had more pro-Palestinian voices than uh, the rest of the British media and certainly the rest of uh, Western media in general. Now. As far as uh, uh, saying that you're a stenographer, I said that journalists are not supposed to be stenographers, and yet when it comes down to it, in most circumstances, in whatever conflict uh, we may be in, there are stenographers for whichever 
uh, whichever party is aligning with the American State Department and the interests of the West in general. And Israel happens to be the one uh, in, this, in this ongoing conflict. But it's interesting that you call me a propagandist because I want to play you... This was your reaction to when the hospital got I'm bombed. a propagandist. Well, no, no. For the record. I'm, no, no, I'm not calling I'm you a propagandist. That. Say, no, no, I'm just saying. I'm going to no, play I say, you. I'm saying I am. OK, well, then... I want to I'm play, saying I am I just before want to you it. even play it. OK, I'm going to play the clip. This is your reaction to the bombing of the hospital uh, the other night. While I was in the process of, of getting ready for the stream, uh, Israel enacted uh, one of the singular worst strikes they have done thus far, and an airstrike, an Israeli airstrike, hit the Al-Ahli Hospital in Gaza City, where thousands of civilians were seeking medical treatment and shelter from the relentless bombing campaign. Now, interestingly, when, that, when you were saying that, uh, I was coming on air too. And I took a position uh, based probably on 30 years of being a journalist, including running major newspapers, working at CNN and others, uh, of waiting, of just saying, I think we should just wait and see what has actually happened here, get clarification, see who's actually to blame before we start passing judgment. You raced in to assume, as many people did, by the way, including the New York Times, BBC, mainstream media, uh, and, of course, most of the Arab world uh, then followed that this was clearly, uh, indisputably, an Israeli airstrike or mishospital. And yet all the evidence now suggests very strongly that it wasn't, that, in fact, this was a rocket that misfired coming from a, a, a terrorist go group inside Gaza. So my question for you is this. Why would you be so certain in, in what you said before you knew? OK, so... First and foremost, before we get started on this conversation, let's understand something very important here. There's no electricity in Gaza. Internet is patchy in Gaza. There's no food in Gaza. There's no water in Gaza. This is all by design. This is because Gaza is under a brutal blockade, a brutal occupation by the Israeli government. Okay? So that, it, that plays a role in the fog of war and the misinformation that gets spread. Having said that, however, uh, you... Uh, you made it seem as though there is a certainty that this was uh, 100% not an Israeli airstrike. No, I didn't. I didn't. And instead, I literally just said. I literally just said it, it's not a certainty. You, okay, sorry. I said I, the, I, evidence, I the evidence is then increasingly pointing to this not being an Israeli airstrike, and that is expert evidence okay, from people that... who have no skin in the game at all. Yes. Uh, well. I don't know which expert you're, uh, you're talking about because I think Channel 4 did a pretty good job. As a matter of fact, I would say Channel 4 did probably the best job so far in analyzing everything that the IDF has said. But the reason why I believed, and I still do believe, that the likelihood is that this was an Israeli bombing campaign wasn't only because of the singular verifiable video, the, the phone video from the balcony that... Uh, had all of the markings of an airstrike. The fact that the Israeli Air Force was enacting a bombing campaign in the region at the time, according to the Al Jazeera live streaming footage that everyone is using but doesn't understand. Uh, the fact that uh, the, the uh, digital media person uh, for the IDF uh, immediately came out and, and said that this was actually a, an airstrike that hit a Hamas target and that he was sad that there were, you know, uh, casualties at the end of the day, but this this uh, was a Hamas target and celebrated it. 
And more importantly, I guess, the fact that this hospital had been bombed by Israel. Mm. This hospital had been bombed by Israel on Saturday. 22 hospitals have, as a matter of fact, been bombed by Israel since this last uh, saga in the occupation. And this hospital had been bombed directly by Israel, where the cancer ward was destroyed. Israel has been bombing all of these hospitals. Israel has been calling all of these hospitals to evacuate over and over and over again. The medical professionals at the hospital had been called by the Israeli government uh, the day prior, and everyone on the ground assumes that this is an Israeli airstrike. They are the ones who experienced the, Hassan, uh, Hassan, the situation. Listen, so when Ahi, you have, uh, when Ahi, you have but the every truth single, is, can I just finish this? If you watch can the BBC, if you watch the I, BBC I, account of all this last night by their Verify unit, which was specifically set up by the BBC to be completely dispassionate in these investigations. And they reached a pretty clear conclusion based on circumstantial evidence, I'll make that clear, that this would not have been an Israeli airstrike, including, for example, the size of the crater, which bears no relation to the size of craters normally left yes. by Israeli air. So, look, my point is, neither of us know for sure. But you took to your airwaves immediately because actually you're... I wouldn't even say unconscious bias. Your admitted propagandist bias on your part was that you wanted that to be an Israeli airstrike. It suited your narrative. And I would say that that in itself, in its I way, wanted it to be is an being Israeli a stenographer. Airstrike. Well, you know, you accuse me no, of being putting, a stenographer. I try and be mouth. fair and get to the truth. In your case, I don't think mm -hmm. you try to do that. I think you appeal to your audience, appeal to your base, this and you unfair. don't really care whether the facts are there or not. This is entirely unfair because you just said circumstantial evidence favors that this was not an Israeli airstrike. Yeah. I gave you all of the circumstantial evidence that it does favor that this is an Israeli airstrike. Mm -hmm. The reason why, however, circumstantial evidence is not enough. And the one thing that I will concede to, because when more information did come out, and no, I do not mean when Israel said that they did not bomb mm -hmm. this hospital and it was actually Hamas. And then they turned around and went, never mind, it's not Hamas, it's actually Islamic Jihad. And then they said, we have more evidence coming out in a couple hours. And then the evidence came out, and it turns out it sounded like uh, it, it, the, the phone conversations that they were able to intercept, supposedly, uh, sounded like, uh, uh, by experts at the very least, uh, to be uh, completely false and, and uh, completely uh, made up. Yeah, but Hassan, I don't accent. think... I'd listen, Syntax in all, all honesty, now, I now, don't this, think, wait, even as you're saying on, all this... I think you're a smart guy. Piers, let me finish. I think you've looked at all of this, and I think in your heart, you know this was probably not an Israeli airstrike. And I'm just curious why that's, you would, instead of admitting no, that as facts no, change, that is your not opinion changed. That no, is not what I'm saying at all. I don't all. understand why you would Please. double and treble you, down you, you're when the evidence is pointing show. the other you're way. You're asking me to be on your show. Do you want to talk? Yes. You, you, if you're asking me to be on your show, and I want to be on the show, thank you so much for having me on your yeah. show, let me explain exactly what I said. And let me explain to you why I think still to this very moment, until there is a third party investigation mm. that is concluded by uh, the UN, the International Criminal Court, or specifically a forensic analyst that uh, that looks at the situation is allowed to be on the ground. This is not just my perspective. This is Beth Selim as well, which is an Israeli organization that has also demanded a okay. third party investigation occur. I am not going to. I am not going to conclusively say that this was not. I don't Israel's expect you to. Fault. I Why? don't expect you to. Because I just gave you. Because I and not because I am a propagandist. As far as me being a propagandist goes, everyone is a propagandist. I'm just honest about it. You're a propagandist. We have our I'm biases. Curious who you think I'm I a propagandist for? About my biases. Who do you think I'm a propagandist for? Who do I think you're a propagandist yeah. for? 
whichever you're, every every media person is is doing propaganda. This yeah, but, is, who, this but who for? I've got to be digging for somebody. You think it's a bad word? I don't. That's just the difference. This is a I do. I think it's actually quite a serious charge. Hassan, I think it's a serious charge to level, not as a podcaster, but as a journalist who's broadcasting around the world, who has a reputation, I believe, for being fair and impartial, actually, on these issues. It's quite a charge to just say. I'm a stenographer for the Israeli government or I'm a propagandist. I don't think there's any evidence I'm either of those things. I'm curious who you think I'm doing while the propaganda for. While we're having this conversation, 3,000... Piers, while we're having this back and forth, 3,840 Palestinians have been ruthlessly slaughtered mm -hmm. in the last incursion into Gaza. I feel like this is an incredibly selfish, self-centered conversation to have. You asked me to be on here. You wanted, you wanted to hear my perspective. I'm willing to give it to you. I don't want to talk about like whether the I don't want to talk about Noam Chomsky style manufacturing okay. consent conversations okay. about how the media is operating listen, in the I, in the, listen, uh, the behest of capital. You were the guy. Listen, I think you were the guy that called me. There are dead people. Listen, Hassan, I only asked you because you're the guy that called me a propagandist and called me a baboon in the soup. I was curious as to why. You don't want to say I who, know, I'm, but, who I'm but doing I, the propaganda for. We'll move on. We'll move on. I agree with I you. Said, <laughs> I said there's a bigger there's a bigger picture. Let's move I on. Let's take a short break. Hassan, let's take a short break. I want to come okay. back. I want to talk to you about what happened on October the 7th. Get your reaction to that. Welcome back, Hassan. Piker is still with me. Hassan, I want to just play you a clip of something that you said about the uh, October 7th terror attacks, and in particular, the attack at the music festival, which killed 260 people. Look at this guy. You know what shouldn't happen? Killing 260 people at a music festival. No, you're right, man. That just happened on its own because, like, bad guys wanted to do bad things. You're right. Dude, if they f subjugated you to a open-air prison your whole f life, you're going to break out eventually when you realize that there is no other way to get out of it. I mean, it sounds to me there, Hassan, that you are in some way saying they had it coming. Were you? Um, no, I wouldn't say that they had it coming. I think that uh, Michael Brooks used to say, uh, analysis is not justification. And while obviously civilian casualties and, and horrific barbaric acts that were committed on October 7 are completely unacceptable, uh, the, the important thing to make sure that it never happens again is to analyze what are the conditions as to, as to how it happened to begin with. And I think uh, Ehud Barak is going to be on uh, mm -hmm. in a little bit as well, or maybe he's on before yeah, he is, me. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I'm, and I'm almost certain that while he has held the keys to the conversation and held uh, the, the levers of the power in this conversation in many key and critical points, uh, I, I would go so far as to say that he is among many others who also recognize that the Bibi Netanyahu administration is responsible. This is not just my assessment. This is 85% uh, of the uh, Israeli population's assessment at the time. Uh, this is years and years and years of refusing to negotiate with the Palestinian Authority. Take, don't take my word for it. Take no, Bibi no, listen, I would personal agree, listen, word for it I would agree again. in a closed-door conversation with Likud members. He yeah, said listen. that if you want to thwart any kind of Palestinian nation-state, you must do everything you can to only negotiate with Hamas. We control how high the, how high the fire goes. He's given cash to Hamas right. by way of Qatar. 
Uh, there is no bigger fan of Hamas than Bibi Netanyahu, which uh, I hope one day you can maybe uh, interview and then you'll ask him to. No, no, I, I uh, actually did interview uh, him a few months ago and I, and I did actually spell out to him that there have been a lot more Palestinian deaths this year so far up to the point of the interview than Israelis and what he intended to do about it. He said then he didn't believe in collective responsibility which is now this hot phrase in this whole uh, crisis about whether you would hold all people in Gaza responsible for Hamas. Interesting to see if Wait, when they... Can I ask it, well, let me just finish you, my point. Do you, do you if they do then launch a ground invasion, it'd be interesting to see if they keep to that word. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm not a, a defender of what Bibi Netanyahu has been doing in Israel. In the last year, his attack on the credibility and integrity of the Supreme Court, I think, has been a disgrace. And I think it has fractured society in Israel. I also think that it's caused so much social unrest and had such big protests that you could argue it's taken the eye off the ball of the people who should have been defending the border uh, because they've been trying to sort out what's been going on domestically, internally inside Israel. So I think it's a catastrophic failure of intelligence, of security, of defence, all of those things. I'd be amazed, frankly, if Netanyahu survives this. So I'm certainly not here to defend him, even if you do view me as a stenographer for his government. Uh, my, my, my question for you, I think, is this. is that I've had a lot of problems trying to get people on the pro-Palestinian side to separate two things. That you can say, as I believe and you believe, that the Palestinians have been maltreated for decades. That this situation where they are effectively... I mean, I don't even call it an occupation because Israelis aren't in Gaza. They pulled out in 2005. But they still control the ability of Gaza... Is, well, see, this is why I call you propagandist well, well, no, I, no, 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 I'm just saying the phraseology is confusing to me because the reality is Israel exercises control over people in Gaza. It allows them in and out. It allows them to turn on the tap of water and so on and so on. I get all that. They don't actually live there because they can't live side by side That's with each other. That's why it's called an open-air prison. Right, I, I don't That's disagree with... That's why they call it the disagree. world's largest open-air prison. Yeah, but, prison. Hassan, I don't disagree with you. And I've, I've pointed this okay. out for a long time as a journalist. So we don't, we don't disagree about the appalling plight of Palestinian people. Um, but the issue comes that if you can't separate that ongoing dispute between Israel and Palestine from the absolutely appalling barbarism of October the 7th, which was on a whole different scale to anything we've seen, where 1,400 people, Holocaust survivors, babies in their, in their cribs, you know, young women taken, uh, tortured, abused, shot, beheaded, we, we, it was reported, and so on. If we can't look at that collectively okay. with, a, with a, a general humanity and agreement that that is an absolute atrocity then there's something wrong with this. And I find that the, the tribalism on both sides is now so toxic and so frenzied that you get people who literally can't... We've had a bunch of actors, right, signing this statement, saying they want a ceasefire in Gaza and calling Israel war criminals and so on. But they don't say a word about the Hamas attacks that precipitated this. And I find that but you really, agree hard, with them, right? really hard to accept. But, but, you, but do you agree with them? If, if they had said, for example, that October 7 attacks were brutal and, and massacres occurred, and then they said everything else, that Israel is committing war crimes, would you agree with them? I, well, OK, here's what I would honestly say about that. Is Israel not allowed to defend itself from the worst terror attack we've seen since 9-11? Is it not allowed to defend itself it's just odd. after 1,400 people in Israel are butchered in that way? And the question then, if you assume that they are able to defend themselves, 
as any pure free democratic the, country. That is the then, Israeli then the State becomes, Department line. Assign, that me, is the IDF's assign, line. That assign, is the line that everyone assign, is Let me ask channels. you this. It then becomes a question of how can they defend themselves? If their mission now is to get rid of Hamas, a terror organization that's committed one of the worst acts of terror ever seen, if that is their stated aim, mm -hmm. then what they are doing is consistent with that, isn't it? No. Here's why this is actually an abject failure, and this is not just my perspective on the matter. I'm just a you know, dumb idiot uh, with a Twitch stream who, who is live reacting to the news and trying to make sense of everything as it's ongoing. I usually have a policy of not covering breaking news, and, and uh, sometimes that policy is violated, but uh, ultimately I am not uh, held up by the same journalistic standards, even though I think I do a much better job than most other news outlets in, uh, in general. So let me just say this really quickly. You said Israel has a right to defend itself. Absolutely zero people think that this is a ridiculous statement. However, how Israel is defending mm -hmm. itself is collective punishment. Now, collective punishment in the form of depriving 2.2 million people of electricity, collective punishment in the form of depriving them of, of water, of food, collective punishment of... Uh, in the form of 51 people dying in the West Bank, where, you know, there is no Hamas in the West Bank, and yet 51 people have died because in the West Bank, settlers that are occupying Palestinian territory in violation of the international law, settlers who are doing an act of colonial terrorism, and this is not my statement on it, this is international law, that are doing horrifying things by simply just existing there and, and maintaining the presence uh, with, a, with an occupying force in the form of IDF, who is ritualistically humiliating Palestinians uh, uh, in, in, a, in a structure that B'Tselem, an Israeli organization, calls the permit regime, where every waking moment of, of uh, Palestinians' lives in the West Bank are absolute hell, where they have no legal recourse. 51 Palestinians have died, and that was before the Ramallah uh, the, the Ramallah protest that happened last night and uh, the Israeli forces were uh, opening up with live fire on protesters last night. So who knows what that death toll has become. This is all, this is all a product of Israel being an apartheid state. This is a violent apartheid state. There is no way to be a let, peaceful right, son, apartheid let me ask state. You this. It, let is, me ask you this. it is a violence let it me is a violence required then. for its maintenance. Okay, listen. And that violence is frustrating people. I hear that you. That violence I is radicalizing you. people. But here's Hold my, on. I hear as you. far as Israel, as far as, as far as what Benjamin Netanyahu has done, as far as the war government, what mm. they have done, Pierce, going into Gaza yeah. and bombing Gaza and killing 3,480 uh, Palestinians so far in Gaza, 1,000 plus children mm. out of all of those casualties. 22 hospitals being bombed, a bakery, the only remaining intact bakery being bombed yesterday. Um, these, are, these are horrifying crimes mm. that you would openly say are horrifying and unjustifiable when Russia does it, but when Israel does it, Israel has a right to defend itself. This is identical to the same talking points that I've heard from every Israeli administration official. It's the same talking points that I've heard from American politicians championing the, the exact same talking points. It's the same thing that I've heard from everyone else in the media. You might have been against the Iraq uh, war, and, and you use that, but you're using that for, for evil, in my opinion, at this point. If you are not sitting here and condemning those acts of war crimes, those acts of violence, the, those acts of collective punishment. Well, I would say to that that I think the death of any child in this conflict is horrific, absolutely horrific. But the question comes down to me that after an act of terror, as we saw on October the 7th, 
Israel should be able to defend itself and should be able to go after the people that perpetrated that, who live amongst civilians in, in Gaza deliberately. And the question for me becomes down to what is proportionate? I don't know the answer, then. I'll be honest with you. I don't know what that answer I is. I do know the answer to that. I do know the answer to that. Last night I had uh, Dr. Ofer Kassif, uh, an Israeli Knesset member who was expelled, uh, suspended for 45 days for saying uh, what I believe is the truth, uh, what uh, is championing the exact same position of the, ha uh, the Haaretz's uh, editorial board. Um, there are a lot of thoughtful people, a lot of um, uh, formative Holocaust scholars, a lot of historians uh, that all agree on the same point. The reason why violence that even penetrates through the Israeli security blanket that, that people thought existed, that penetrated through that Iron Dome, the Iron Wall, if you want to call it that, is because of years and years of oppression and years and years of violence, which is a necessity to maintain an apartheid state. And this has to stop. There's only two ways out of this. Either you engage in full-blown ethnic cleansing, and if you, if you listen to the likes of Smotrich or if you listen to the likes of Itamar Ben-Givir and these very unfavorable, unpopular, mm -hmm. far-right figures, if you listen to Netanyahu and his Likud government, uh, they say that they are interested in going in that direction, the ethnic cleansing direction, the ethnic displacement direction, or the only way out of this for a real solution is to, to move towards peace, to genuinely have, to genuinely end the blockade, the end the apartheid, the end the occupation, and create a pathway towards citizenship for all people with a right to return for uh, all 14 million Palestinians, uh, uh, 5 million of which live under Israeli occupation. It's brutal. And then the rest living in diaspora. These are not unreasonable requests. These are requests that understand the dignity and the humanity of one you. side and does not simply treat them as their uh, their colonial subjects. Hassan, I... and, and it's the only way to create okay, permanent I, security listen. and prosperity in the region. If it was as simple as that, I'm sure that would have happened already. I would say this. I agree with a lot of what you've just said. Not all of it, a lot of it. I don't think you can ever achieve peace now with Hamas controlling Gaza. I don't think you can achieve peace with Netanyahu in charge of... Israel, actually, after this. I don't think his own people will want him to be in charge of Israel down the line when they examine exactly how this happened. But we will see. Uh, but, Hassan, I've got to leave it there. It, look, it's good to talk to you. You know, you're an important, influential voice to a lot of people. Um, and I, I think we have a lot of common ground and there are some things that we disagree about. But I suspect it's not as much as you think. You know, I do think that the core problem here has got to get resolved in a way that's been completely ignored for decades. And until it gets resolved, until the plight of the Palestinian people is resolved, until all these young people in Palestine feel there's some sense of hope and they can get out of what effectively is, as you say, a prison camp, then nothing is going to change. Uh, I don't think it justifies in well, any... Well, well, let me that. just say, I, I've got to finish it, but I don't think it justifies in any way what happened on October the 7th. But I do agree with you that until that core problem gets it resolved, doesn't. there will never be peace. Uh, Sam, I appreciate you joining me. Thank you Thanks. very much. Thank you for having me. On so the next, I'll be joined by the former Prime Minister uh, and IDF General Ehud Barak, who's been listening to that interview.
Well, glad to answer that. I'm joined now by Israel's former Prime Minister, Ehud Barak. Uh, Mr Barak, thank you very much indeed for joining me. I, I greatly appreciate it. I want to start by playing you an extract from an interview I did with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu back in March in the middle of all the big social unrest in Israel over his attempts to usurp the power of the Supreme Court. Listen to this. We don't believe in collective punishment. I go after the terrorists, I go after those who support the terrorists, but I don't believe in collective punishment. It seems to me part of Netanyahu's problem has been that for political expediency, he's had to pack his cabinet full of very hard-right people whose incendiary rhetoric has done nothing but fuel uh, a lot of uh, fury amongst the Palestinian people. Would you agree with that? You know, the, the nomination of these two racist, uh, messianic, uh, we call it in Yiddish, Michiganers, is a grave mistake on Netanyahu. Uh, they are a pariah within the Israeli society, but it has nothing to do with the crisis we are now facing. The uh, barbarian uh, massacre that happened in October 7th uh, started to be prepared before Netanyahu government, more than a year ago, before Netanyahu a government was ever established, and it has nothing to do whatsoever. They are they are a huge damage to Israel in one, more than one way, but they are not the direct cause of this event and these uh, attacks. When you heard about the scale of what happened on October the 7th, how did that affect you personally? You've been a prime minister of Israel, you've been a general uh, in the defence force. What was the personal impact on you? Look, I witnessed our people. It was the, the most severe um, blow that uh, Israeli suffered in the, since its establishment. We had never such an event well, within 24 hours. It's much more than 1,400. Probably we'll end up with 1,800. And uh, uh, several hundred were uh, caught as hostages. And they were slaughtered slaughtered, literally. It's a, not a, just a terror, it's a crime against humanity. No one can remember such pictures since probably Eastern Europe during, uh, during World War II under the Nazi uh, uh, rule. And that, that, of course, it shocked the public, but uh, we are a defiant species. We know how to unite when we face an external threat. We are united. We mobilize over 300,000 uh, reservists to make sure there is enough force to avoid any kind of uh, further surprise and to be able to uh, have a major offensive in the Gaza Strip. We got support from the whole world. The Prime Minister Sunak is now in Israel, but uh, Biden was there uh, yesterday. Aircraft carrier uh, is closing even some British vessels. And uh, we enjoy a lot of support. And the third element, which is very important, the, you know, in a way, it's not just a failure of the intelligence, a failure of the operational side. And in spite of heroic, uh, heroic uh, response of the soldiers on the ground, it's still a major failure of our defense uh, system. But it's also a major failure of the, of the political uh, level. And basically, they, they lost the trust of the people and the, both the government and, in a way, the military. And an important step was the creating some four days ago of a war cabinet make, made of Netanyahu and other four people. Two of them were added 
from the opposition leaders, um, Gantz and Eisenhorn, they both are uh, career generals before they turn into politicians. Both were commanders of the armed forces of Israel, and both are very responsible, cool-headed, uh, balanced people. So, in a way, they're joining the World Cabinet, make more citizens, including myself, more quiet about the decisions that might come out uh, and translated by the armed forces into action. If this attack had happened on your watch as prime minister, would you have resigned? I, uh, you know, it depends to what extent I would feel the situation. I don't want to answer it uh, right now because there is a, the question, of course, on the air in, re in regard to Netanyahu. I think that now we have to focus first and foremost on response. We have to do something. No uh, modern state can afford having it. You mentioned earlier 9-11. Uh, yeah. You think in the terms of the population, like, like Americans having 9-11 with 50,000 people killed, not uh, 3,500. So it's a major blow. We have now to focus. We have to eradicate any military capability of the Hamas. But here this is, the is problem, a demanding uh, enough Mr. job. Mr. Mr. Barrett, let me just jump in there, because the Geneva Convention outlaws collective punishment. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, when I interviewed him back in March, said he did, not, he did not believe in collective punishment, and he wouldn't exercise collective punishment in the way he dealt with Palestinians. But many would argue, including my previous guest, Hassan Paika, that the fact that 3,500 Palestinians have already been killed in the last 10 days since October the 7th does constitute a form of collective punishment. How do you go after Hamas, given that they are living amongst the civilian population in Gaza, without exercising a collective punishment? Are we not seeing that now? Israel is committed to the international law. No uh, Israeli commander ever uh, uh, get an order to a pilot to launch a bomb on a hospital. That's a crazy idea, and we can uh, later on uh, talk about it. So we are basically committed to it. It's a major constraint on our operation. Uh, we, the right way is to warn everyone. We cannot afford uh, not acting against the Hamas. So we announced on the first day Every one of you Gazans who know that the place where he lives or the place where he works, there is now or there was in the past, let's say, two years, any Hamas activity, a launching pad for a rocket, a lab, a munition or, or weapons a, a kind of a, a depot, a, a kind of a operational office or, what, or training site, whatever. You should leave the place because we are going to hit it. And we said it once and again every day. Some four days ago, we announced all Gazans are asked to move to the southern part of the Gaza Strip in order to allow us to hit the rest. A half a million moved. Another half million did not move. The Hamas deliberately used them as a, a human shield, deliberately well, tried Barrett, to discourage them from leaving. Let me ask you this. What is a proportionate response? Three and a half thousand Palestinians have already died. If there is a ground invasion with support from the air, perhaps the sea as well, by Israel, that number is going to massively increase. You're going to see tens, if not hundreds of thousands of Palestinians killed here. At what point does it become...
disproportionate or indeed, as critics are already saying, a war crime? I uh, strongly believe that if uh, people will be focused enough to understand that we are going to come, we are going to come with ground forces as well, because you cannot eliminate these barbarian, Daesh-like or Al-Qaeda-like uh, groups that are slaughtering civilians in our border. I'm confident that if the UK, the Great Britain, would have a, a 10,000 British uh, citizens uh, slaughtered uh, literally uh, by a Daesh-like uh, group uh, over your border that jumped in, you would take whatever steps. I don't want to go into history and remind you of Dresden and other operations. Mm -hmm. I want to remind you that uh, the, the UK, as well as the United States, uh, sent its forces over half of the globe in order to destroy Daesh. These are uh, enemies of uh, mankind, and we have to get rid of them. But now, what happens? Okay. We take all. Listen, I agree with you, but all what, but what happens, Mr. Barrett? What happens? No, you cannot. Sorry, Look, Pierce. You I'm... cannot ask me why the citizens of Gaza are not leaving the places where we announce them days ahead of time. We are going to go there. It will be tough. We will use uh, fire because we had to get rid of the uh, well, physical... Well, it may be, Mr. And, Barak, and let, me, let me put it to you. It may be because the, this is their home. These are their houses. This is where all their possessions are. It may be that they think to themselves, why should I leave my home? I'm not responsible for what Hamas did. Because, why am I going to face being killed it, because of it? If you or, or me would have faced the choice whether to be killed as a result of staying there or leaving it and stay alive, I would at least, I know that I would have lived. And they have the right to live, they have the where opportunity to Where are they going to go, Mr. Barak? I mean, let me ask you, where are, where are all these Palestinian people going to end up? Where will they live? They where have will their to homes go, be? Not, not, don't ask me how it will end up. Once they leave, they move to the southern part of the Gaza Strip, there is enough place for them. We are not going to operate for 10 years. It might take several uh, weeks or probably two months if there are more people inside it. Uh, we will fight Hamas. We will uh, eradicate their infrastructure and their capability of repeat this crime. Israel cannot afford having Hamas attacking us in this way again. And I am confident that any elected government of any country on earth would have done the same. And it's not inevitable that they will kill on mass. They can leave. They can leave now when we're speaking. They can leave tomorrow. They can leave uh, next day. It, it's not coming within a few hours. But you cannot blame us for the fact that Hamas coerced people to stay as their uh, uh, human shield. You will end up with impunity to a, a kind of a Daesh-like terrorist because they always can and handgun hand some uh, people, including the hostages, I might say, uh, as a kind of human shield for them. And that will paralyze humanity from being able to uh, uh, struggle with his it's more its worst enemies and we are not going to stop uh, to stop it i'm confident
that we'll, we are doing our best. Every target is checked more okay. than once by different teams to make sure that it's legitimate. Okay, uh, Mr. Barak, uh, I'm going to leave it there. And Listen, only I, then execute. All I would say is, is the world is watching and Israel has got reasons. to... I, I believe in Israel's right to defence, but there is going to be a tipping point if Israel is not careful. If too many Palestinian civilians are slaughtered in revenge for what happened October the 7th, the world... I, the I world's fully... mood will change, and that will be a dangerous moment for Israel and for the world. But listen, we'll have to see what happens, look, and I realise you're, you're not I want, the person I want in charge. To, to... I, I have one, one remark to make. We heard the same from the Americans. Even without uh, this advice, which I fully respect, we are doing it anyhow. We fully understand. We have several constraints on the operation. One is the hostages. The second is the risk that it will spread to the north and become a regional war. The third one is the question to whom we will pass the torch. Once we clean the, the yes. uh, area from Hamas, we, we are not going to stay there. For We need some player to take it. Let's think of uh, uh, Arab uh, uh, multinational force that mm. take responsibility for three or, three or six months and bring the original recognized owner of the place, which is the Palestinian Authority or any other variation of this. And the last uh, sincere constraint is the international law. We fully understand that this universal support of Israel will erode as the number of collateral damage, which happened to be it's a, it's a kind of a vague mm. uh, de uh, definition. It's basically people who are innocent and are killed. We don't like to kill people who are innocent. I understand but that, Mr. Brown. But, that but unfortunately, I, 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 I have to. I have to leave it there. I understand that. But th this collective punishment issue, if it looks more and more like that is what is happening, that will be a breach of the Geneva Convention. So we're going to have to wait and see uh, how this all plays yeah, we, out. I, we, Prime Minister, I have to leave it there. I'm sorry. Be, I do. Be I do appreciate. We want. I understand. We won't break the uh, Geneva Convention. I would. I would hope that would not be the case. Uh, Edward Barrack, I really appreciate you joining me. Thank you very much. Oh, back to our sense. I'm joined now by my pack, Talk TV's international editor, Isabel Oshaw, and Talk TV contributor, Paul Arone. Adrian, I want to play a clip. This is King Charles uh, at the Mansion House of the City of London uh, yesterday, talking about modern-day discourse, mm. how we talk to each other. Let's take a listen. Even in the most fractious times, when disagreements are polished, paraded and asserted, there is in our land a kind of muscle memory that it does not have to be like this, that the temptation to turn ourselves into a shouting or recriminating society must be resisted, or at least heavily mitigated whenever possible, especially in the digital sphere where civilised debate too often gives way to rancour. You know, it really struck a nerve with me because I've been doing a lot of pretty contentious interviews since October the 7th. And they've been getting huge numbers of views online, in particular, around the world, on YouTube. 10 million watched the Bassam Youssef interview, for example, mm -hmm. Ben Shapiro, 6 million and so on. But that's led to an absolute avalanche of, of abuse, abuse yeah. and threats and everything else. Mm -hmm. Whatever you say, right? Because on both sides, there are a lot of extremists who will not tolerate any deviation mm 
mm. from yeah. their world view of this. Yes. And obviously, it's historic, it's passions run high, the world view is very fractured about Israel and Palestine. But I thought Charles hit the right tone here, Paula, is that we've got to somehow get back to being able to, I've said this a lot on the show, to get back to understanding that what free speech means mm. is respect and tolerance for people's views, even if you really disagree with them. And a responsibility for yourself in terms of what you are saying. So mm. if you're advocating free speech, then by all means, remember that you also have a responsibility, don't you, in terms of what it is mm. that you want to communicate to the other person. I think King Charles absolutely nailed it. And mm. it's what was needed, because quite frankly, we're not getting that from our politicians. And we're not getting that from our prime minister. I mean, Lot sometimes of... the sheer volume of it just absolutely yeah. takes your breath away, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, when you're in the public eye, as you are mm. and I am to a lesser extent, you grow used to the kind of base level of viciousness mm. and unpleasantness and always the attribution of the wrong motives. Mm. You know, the impugning of one's integrity. Yeah. Whatever one is saying or whatever point is being argued, it's always, it must be about your private... Well, I had a guest earlier saying that I was a propagandist for the Israeli government, but I actually told him, well, who am I doing the propaganda for? He didn't actually want to say that again. Right. Because he knows that's ridiculous. Mm. Obviously, I'm not. And the questioning of all people in the last 10 days would show that. But I, I've been struck by... People taking clips from interviews that I've done with whoever it may be, Bassam Youssef or the Palestinian ambassador, whoever it is, taking clips and then deliberately twisting yes. the meaning of those clips yes. and putting that out as fact and then getting 10 million views mm. for what is a lie mm. whilst calling me a liar. I mean, it's quite shocking. It, it is And shocking. I'm not quite sure how you stop it. Well, it's really, really difficult as you push back and they'll clip that and distort it again. And, it, and it's been hugely important already in this conflict. I was just looking at some figures. Uh, more than 40,000 fake accounts mm. uh, promoting pro-Hamas narratives. Yeah. And ordinary people, quite understandably, it's hard enough for those of us that have supposedly got some expertise, find it very, very hard to distinguish some of this stuff. Absolutely. I know lots of journalists who are just not putting their head over the parapet in this. Mm. They yeah. don't want to face the blowback. Mm. I get it. You know, I'm not in that position. I'm a strident person by nature. I call things as I see them. I don't come at things from a partisan and it's position. Important, can I say? Uh, and you have to do it, but my, it it's is... It's important that you I've do continue to tell you, it is full on. It's full on. It is absolutely important that you continue to do that. And I appreciate that this is slightly sidestepping, but we see what happens to presenters whose lives have been threatened, whose lives have been lost... Mm because they have dared to, to speak out or act in a way that, mm. that whatever for whatever reason, a member of the public mm. didn't, didn't like, you have got to keep doing that. Because if you don't, then others will be too fearful. And that you're seeing that already. We've got to leave it there. Uh, thank you both very much indeed. I appreciate it. That's it from me. Next week, we'll be live from New York. Whatever you're up to, keep it uncensored. Good night. <laughs>